Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I'm your host, Dwayne Mancini. As always, if you need anything from the podcast or would like to suggest a future guest, please email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. My guest today is the founder of Product, Devin Campbell. This is episode two of our three-part series, and in this episode, we discuss building your team and infrastructure for success, which includes discussions on fractionalizing versus full-time, internal versus external, what do you outsource, bringing on advisors and consultants, and cultural red flags. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my second discussion with Devin Campbell. Medical innovation starts with medical discussion. Talking about the future and what comes next with Project MedTech. Devin, welcome back to episode two of our three-part series. So Happy this- to be here again. Yeah, this is uh, this is a major milestone in the podcast. We've had a repeat guest. His name's Tim Blair. He's part of uh, iCore Vascular. But I've never intentionally set out to do a three-part series with someone uh, to cover a handful of different topics. So this is pretty exciting. So, so day two of our our discussion is 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 revolving around team building your team infrastructure of the company for success. Um, Let's let's dive into fractionalizing versus full time and how you you know the answer I think a lot of times people ask this question expecting like a black and white answer of hey you should only fractionalize or hey you should only hire full time and I and I think it's like anything the answer is probably somewhere in the middle here so let's start there mm-hmm. let's maybe introduce it give it give your thoughts and 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 how you think about this well, I mean, I, there, there's no the answer, right? Mm-hmm. We should make sure that anyone listening under, understands that. I mean, coming That's up right. with a team to bring a medical device to market um, is a very personal and, and, and bespoke experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, needs to be handled carefully and, and no, no, no two teams are the same. But there are some kind of broad brushstrokes that we'll paint with over the next of however, however many minutes we end up chatting today. Um, I think that fractionalization versus full-time employees is a, is a valuable tool for an earlier stage startup. And we're talking specifically about earlier stage med tech startups, right? We're not talking about more mature, you know, you've got your B funding and your C funding, or, or maybe you're just going in now, you know, um, you know, commercializing it or getting ready for an IPO. That's not the environment that we're talking about. We're talking much more, you know, earlier stage entrepreneurs and, and earlier stage startups. So in that unique environment, um, I, I don't see any problem with using fractional resources versus full-time resources. You can't use everyone fractional. I mean, you have to have some full-time resources in-house. And at some point during the course of today's conversation, we'll kind of get into like what kind of roles do you care about? And what might be good ones to, to throw in there kind of first. Um, but I think it's useful to use fractional ones because as a startup, your cash is king, and you only have so many resources and so much money to be able to put toward those resources. 
you can, when you're using fractionalization, bring in higher, um, you know, bigger guns, you know, folks that are more experienced uh, to be able to help set your strategy, um, set the direction for what you're, where you're trying to go, do some of the work, right? That's different than using an advisor. Um, you know, actually do some of the work and, and, and build some of that infrastructure out. But you don't really need them 40, 60 hours a week. Because um, a lot of that work is kind of, you know, build out the infrastructure, but then it's about a, a bunch of turn the crank work, right? Okay, well, now that we have our philosophy or, or you know, the direction that we want to go, now let's start doing it. And you need people to like, you know, be creating documents, be creating forms, doing some of the core engineering, stuff like that. You don't necessarily need like senior VP of blah, blah, blah um, to be doing that. Um, you could fractionalize, use them 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% and take the incremental money that you would have been spending on their higher salary and put that toward a couple more, um, more junior uh, resources, scientists and engineers to help you bring your product to market. Um, and, th and those ones, you can bring them on full time, right? You don't want to bring, um, you don't want to bring them on half time because you're not really going to get their full attention. Um, but I would say kind of the further up you go, it's, it's worth at least having the conversation amongst yourselves and saying, do we really need this kind of resource here full time? Or can we get away with um, a part time role um, that could, you know, maybe it would lead to that person being full time. But it could also say, you know, let's look for someone to help us to help us get through this certain phase and help build out some of the infrastructure and then also help us hire their full time replacement. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that fractionalization, sometimes people kind of steer away from it. You see it most commonly like for CFO. Um, but I, I think that it's a really great idea that, to explore for, you know, other roles within the leadership team um, for, for any startup. Yeah. Do you think, I know a lot of times when I would talk to um, startup companies who were adamantly against fractionalization, their main argument was, well, if I hire someone on full time, they're, they're all in. And if, if I'm fractionalizing, how do I know they're all in? So is there an argument you have to that? Or is, is that a, a major concern for you when you're helping build some of these companies? Well, I mean, you can have your cake and eat it too. You, mm -hmm. It's unusual to find like that. If, if you're trying to go out and find yourself kind of a higher powered, more experienced, um, you know, you know, great pedigree on, on, on their resume. Um, and, you know, they've been at this company, this company, this company, and this company. Are they really going to also roll up their sleeves um, you know, and get down and get really dirty and like do the lab work and, and, you know, do the verification validation work that needs to happen and, and, and getting to the engineering lab and getting to the wet lab and everything else, probably not. Right. They're going to, they're going to be really good and they're going to be experienced to know, you know, these are some of the challenges you're going to see around the corner. Here's how we set our, ourselves up for success to be able to get there. But what else are you going to be doing? Because that doesn't take a ton of time. What else are you going to be doing with the rest of the time? Right. You, if, but if you bring on a few other resources and fractionalize that person, that person can check in on with those resources every couple of days, you know, help manage them, coach them, mentor them, help build them up so that maybe they could even become, you know, managers or, or whatever in, in that role in time and maybe take over that responsibility. Um, 
I, I think fr fractionalization does not mean you either hire a resource part-time or you hire them full-time. It's do you hire them full-time or do you hire them part-time and bring in other people that you could use incrementally? And those would be full-time people, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and they tend to be highly dedicated and willing to put in, you know, the crazy hours that are often involved in the startup environment. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I usually handle that question with, and it's, it's, it's simplistic and it's probably not a hundred percent true for everybody, but anytime I get pushback on that, I always ask them, you know, are, are you giving these junior level folks you're going to hire full-time equity? Because if not, why, why do, why, why do you think they're all in? I mean, they could look mm -hmm. at this as just another job as well, the same way as mm -hmm. the consultant might be looking at it as just a job, right? So the mm -hmm. whole all-in thing, I don't know. I don't always get the argument, but I do hear it a lot. Um, mm -hmm. What about uh, core team? So it's not really your first hire, but but building out your core team, uh, internal versus external. You know, what do you outsource? That's probably two separate subjects, but I think let's let's kind of get into that a little bit. Um, okay, so let's talk about the, the resources you need, and then, yeah. you know, and then where, where do you go to get them? Right. Um, you know, we're talking medical devices. Yep. Um, we're talking med tech stuff. So you clearly need a leader um, to kind of drive the whole thing. Uh, don't get hung up on that being a CEO, right? Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, whatever role you want to call it, an earlier stage in the company. Mm -hmm. um, but you definitely need a figurehead, right? The, the person who sets the tone and drives. Um, and that's more for the business and for the company. Mm -hmm. You need someone to serve that same role, but on the, on, on the tech side, right? And I'm purposely avoiding like C-suite acronyms, right? Okay. Trying to avoid CX, whatever. But you, you, you absolutely need someone who, who's driving the technology and understands the science behind it, the biology behind it, the physics behind it. Um, you know, what, what is that unique thing that makes your product differentiated from other products? And, and how are you capitalizing on that? And how are you building out the system around it? Um, you know, ultimately, there's that, there's that one piece. And you definitely need a core um, lead on, on the technology side. Okay, so before we go for any further with the leader, yeah. are you why are you intentionally avoiding C-suite or CX? Because they don't, because you don't have to start your company Mm -hmm. And with this impression, like, oh, my first hire is a CEO and my next, and then the next is a CTO. It doesn't have to be that way, okay. right? You kind of arbitrarily throw these labels on things and feel like, okay, well, we have to build out the C-suite first, and then we can build out everything else. Not necessarily true, right? Okay. Yep. Um, you don't want junior, you know, super junior people in these roles. Sure. Uh, that that's and we can touch on some of the some of the some of that a little bit later. Um, but, but these are roles where you, where you definitely need a, a core person. Maybe the technology person, you know, it's, it's their PhD thesis and this is their first job out of school. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, you know, I've got lots of clients where that's the situation. Yeah. You know, you draw, you understand the science because it was your, you know, your work. Yep. Um, great. Well, let's balance that with a bit more experienced kind of senior leader on the, on the, you know, let's lead the business side of things. Yep. Um, get into a little bit of trouble when you fuse the technology and the business leader roles, right? Okay. Where you have a, a tech lead also kind of saying, well, I'm also the first CEO. Um, yep. you know, that, that can work out great, but uh, it can also lead you down some paths where you're making decisions that are maybe better for the technology, but not 
shorter term decisions that are good for tech, but not necessarily good for the long term viability of the company. Sure. Okay. Yep. Um, so when when I get involved with with earlier stage companies, you know, those two that we just referenced are pretty much always there. There's always like, okay, who's the technical person? Who's the overall leader person? Um, a couple roles that I think are often missing or overlooked that are, or, or at least I should say are underappreciated, your quality and your regulatory people, okay. two very, two very different people, um, like quality and regulatory, they're different groups. Um, I, they, I am, they, I'm laughing because like, I know this, but I can't tell you how many times I've, I've talked to someone and, and they said, oh, they're a regulatory expert. They'll, they'll handle the quality too, or, or, you know, right. vice versa, like or it's, vice the same, versa. it's the right. same department. Yeah. For, yeah, for, for my company, uh, for my company, my practice, we, um, you know, we, we help build out infrastructure for earlier stage companies and, mm-hmm. you know, answer through work in detail through a lot of these sorts of questions. Um, and in some cases we end up uh, helping them build out things like quality systems and they think, oh, well, you know, quality. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, 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 what should we do here from a regulatory standpoint? And we're like, we are not touching that with a 10 foot pole. I mean, yeah. We need regulatory experts who know what they're doing to drive those decisions. You, you know, you don't want to use the wrong resource because uh, right. it's going to drive you again down the wrong path. So quality and regulatory, re- you know, input voices from those from those areas do they need to be full-time employees depends on how mature the company is the earlier they are i'd probably say no you'd probably Mm -hmm. get away with using advisors for a lot of that Um, especially on the regulatory side Um, and then i also think operations is underappreciated as as the company is growing and and raising more funds and starting to build out more devices or you know, running more tests and things like that. You will, in my experience, I often see that then falls on the shoulders of like, you know, the senior scientists or the senior most engineers that are there, you know, and it kind of is like, well, you know, it's, it's running your engineering lab. So you, you just do it, but you don't really want development engineers driving your operations, right? having an experienced operations person that can go through and help lean out what you're doing and understand, you know, where we're going is leading to inefficiencies because we have the senior engineer who's now bringing parts in and doing IQC herself. And, um, you know, then she's moving it over. She could be adding so much more value, you know, doing her work uh, as a senior engineer than she is, you know, driving the operations side. Mm-hmm. So, but very often they don't see it, right? They might complain about it, but they don't, you know, it's hard for the organization because that's how we've grown. It's hard for them to appreciate, wow, I've kind of gotten myself in a really inefficient spot. Um, And I think you could actually save money. You could hire someone to help with the operation side and in the end save money because of the efficiencies that you can gain in your operation, in in what you're doing and and free up the right resources to be doing the right things. the technology lead, like the company lead, quality, ops, regulatory. And the last one that's never too early to start thinking about is the clinical side. Yep. Again, that's not regulatory and that's not quality. That's not operations. It's its own kind of special little world. Um, 
if you were looking for a fractional you know, example, there, there's a great person you could bring in like really early, sign a couple year contract with them. They're there 10% of the time or whatever to help you craft. What will your clinical strategy be? What would your clinical protocols look like? They're working with the regulatory team to think about what kind of protocols do we need to generate to get the FDA, you know, aligned and excited about what we're doing. Um, how do we start to reach out? How do we get early clinical feedback? Um, one of the things we talked about in our last call was that the importance of voice of customer really early in the process, right? Clinical teams understanding how to reach out and work with CROs and how to get other people involved and do some of that work. It's a very valuable voice. So if the team is getting around the table to talk about things, a really robust team for a startup, you've got your technical person, you've got your leader of the whole thing, you got a voice of quality, a voice of ops, a voice of regulatory, and a voice of clinical. Yeah. Regardless um, of what level they're at. Mm -hmm. And I want to add one thing real quick too, to the clinical piece. You mentioned they should be working with your regulatory team. They should be working with you know, the clinic, the voice of the customer. I think the other mm -hmm. piece that I always like to add is they better be working with, in, in, mo in some cases, the reimbursement expert, whoever that expert is yeah. on, re on reimbursement, uh, they better understand that input as well, because there's, there's nothing worse than getting, <laughs> getting approval for your device and you banking on reimbursement and then them coming back and saying, well, you never collected this endpoint and you have to go back right. and run a clinical trial because that happens and it happens more frequently than you would think. Um, so right. that's the other piece that they better be considering. Um, right. Right. Okay. Before I derailed so, you I, there. <laughs> I, uh, so I, I can think of friends in my head right now that would maybe listen to this and say, Devin, what the heck are you talking about? You know, where's marketing, where's sales, um, okay. and yep. strategic marketing and, and, and all of that. Um, and, and I'm trying to talk, we were, you know, open this conversation with your first hires, right? And mm -hmm. I'm saying, well, I'm not going to give you a first hire, but this is kind of like the first group. Um, I think that we very frequently in, in the highly technical community, we underappreciate the importance and the value of bringing those like marketing voices. We think that, oh, well, we don't need that until we're commercial. Yeah. Right. And along with what we talked about in our, in our first session of these three, you know, that voice of customer is really important. Mm -hmm. and, and to your point here about, you know, thinking through the reimbursement strategy and stuff like that, that, you know, that's also understanding what market segments you're going after and how are you going to penetrate those markets and everything else. So I, I don't want to give the impression that by omitting like, uh, you know, a marketing represent, representation here um, that, I'm, that I'm suggesting that that's not important. It absolutely is. But if you, if you, when you first start out, if you don't have a technology that's working, right, and, you, and you're not starting to build the quality system that you need to be able to, organically grow a DHF as you go, instead of having to wait to the last minute and then hire an army of people and spend a ton of money to try to backfill it. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you don't have these groups, you, you're not going to have a product to ultimately go and, and, and market. So I think the strategic marketing person, you know, or at least a, a group of people that you could, you could either outsource or insource um, to help drive that vision, to make sure you're getting your, pro your user needs and your product requirements correct. Um, is, is absolutely kind of the, you know, the next big threshold for us to cross. Yeah, I think with with commercial too, you know, there's, I think sometimes when I talk to early entrepreneurs, they think, well, I don't need a commercial person because I'm not selling it yet. Like you said at the beginning, right? 
of this of this phase of the conversation. But uh, what what oftentimes I'll tell them is is sometimes your commercial person, especially if they're experienced, they can open doors for your clinical trial. Um, mm -hmm. You know, by getting in and, and talking to some of those people, sometimes their fir your first customers are a lead, you know, investigator. So uh, they, they can help there. And I think that they bring a, they bring the voice of the customer. I mean, that's really what it, yeah. it ties back to the yeah. first episode. I mean, of, of our yeah. interview, you know, it's a hundred percent and they, and they, and they, they might do it at a different level um, or, or see it in a different way than you see it as the leader of the company. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think the other important piece too is, and we're going to talk about this in our third one, but avoiding the valley of death, which is after approval, but before you've actually really sold the product, the, the, the longer they're in there, the more you have that feedback from them. Hopefully you can try to avoid that, but we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The other thing I'd written down, you were talking about, we avoid CEO and, and say leader. Um, you know, I think the other thing I see a lot is there's often this pushback from the current leader at this early phase, right? We're talking about hiring these people, this, this first round of hires and building your team out. There's oftentimes a lot of resistance from the, the leader in that current, the current phase to maybe take a step back and realize maybe they're not the best for the next phase. Right. Um, and that can happen as early as having to go out and raise seed round or even series a round. I mean, you might have to take a step back. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Do you see the same issue? Um, because if, if you, if you're resistant to that and then eventually you come around, it could be too late. I mean, the time is, time is of the essence in medical device, bringing a product to market. Um, so, so maybe talk oh, a little I mean, bit too, too late or, or even just, you know, it's just an inefficient route that you took to get there, mm -hmm. right? You, you've wasted more of the precious capital of a, of a startup. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we were chatting kind of in the, in the pre-call, you know, I think there's this important element for the leadership team of, of, of startups, right? Um, whoever they are, and, and we can we can all lead from different levels of the organization. We can all lead up and lead down and lead sideways. Um, but you know that that kind of like the leadership group, it's important to approach, in my opinion, product development for medical devices, probably in general, with a substantial air of of humility. Um, we have to be thinking about, you know, am I the best resource to be, to be doing what it is I'm doing right now? Am I adding the most um, to the company? Am I helping build the most value for the organization doing what I'm doing? And I mean value truly in, you know, if what I'm, is what I'm doing helping drive higher valuations, right? In, in the end, it really all comes to driving a high valuation for, for, the, for the business. Um, the kind of leads and the kind of people that you need at the very beginning, you're just getting off the ground. There's only a few of you, you know, you're, you're, you're scrappy. You're going out there trying to get some seed money, maybe a little bit of angel investment money. That person may or may not be the right person to be in charge of things 
while you're driving, while, while you're while you're navigating the choppy waters of development, right? You you want a bit more seasoned of a captain um, to be able to to be able to guide that ship um, through it. And that person might not be the same person that you had driving things, you know, during the seed and and, and early rounds. Similarly, as you get closer to all right, we're getting through development. We we have a leader on board that's kind of helping drive the organization and drive what's happening that truly understands what it takes to do product development and, and, and to bring up, think of a way to create highly robust, um, highly reliable, efficacious medical devices. That person probably isn't also the right person to drive the, you know, drive it so hard and get so much sales, you know, once we're, once we're commercialized. So I think it's important to kind of look at this and say, you know, is this a time I need to step aside and let somebody else kind of come in because the organization has matured to a point where it's just at a different space and I can continue to be adding value. You know, maybe an earlier stage CEO steps aside as COO or CTO um, and then you bring on, a, you know, a more experienced CEO who has been, um, you know, un- understands what it's going to take to to drive, you know, to go out there and get your B and your C and, and, and take a company public kind of thing. Um, you know, that's a different person. You know, you want someone who's done that. Um, so I think that this, there's this, this really important element of, of humility that, you know, teams at different levels of the maturity of, of the company, you, know, you just need different people. Um, kind of steering the ship. Yeah. And, and this isn't a video podcast, but, but uh, for all the listeners, but when, when, when Devin and I were talking before we hit record, you know, he had his, I, I have my notes, right. And, and he has his thought, thought bubbles and he, he highlighted the word humility. And, and I mean, it really does all come back to that. Um, and we're going to continue to talk and it's all still going to come back to that. Um, okay. So I think, did we discuss, we, we kind of discussed internal, external, what do you outsource? Um, did you have anything else to well, add? To that? We, we didn't really. And we kind of talked about fractionalization. Yeah. But, I mean, let's, let's, let's really talk about, you know, not fractionalization, but when you're building out a team, yeah. you know, you're an early stage startup, you have so much money. Do you want to go and hire all the engineers? Let's say it's an engineering heavy device. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to hire all the engineers and the scientists that you need to build out this product? Mm-hmm. There might be aspects of the product that are you know, very special and kind of core to you that, that you, you want to do that. But I, I very frequently advise you know, companies that I work with and, and that my team works with that you know, there's a lot that you can effectively outsource. There's a lot. And there are companies all over the world that know how to do medical device development and they know how to do it really, really well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in a lot of cases, you, you could shop kind of the work that you need and get the best quote you can. But, um, you know, there'll be a number of different options that, that you could explore out there they know what they're doing. They often have their own quality systems already in place. So at least you know that they're developing things to 1345 standards. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a strong, strong argument 
and, and I push for this very often, to, to almost outsource as much as you can. But I never, ever suggest you outsource completely. Um, I have seen cases where, let's say, kind of the, the contributions of engineering and the engineering team are commoditized to say, oh, well, we just outsource all the engineering. You know, just anyone can do that. And we just outsource the whole thing. The challenge is when you outsource everything, there's a, there's a couple. One, you don't have an internal champion, an internal person who's, who has no conflict of interest, right? That can say, no, you know what? Uh, you know, Dwayne Engineering Company is, is you know, full of it. Um, you know, what, what they're doing, you know, isn't great. So you, you want to have like that internal knowledgeable resource to be able to help manage them, speak their language um, and come back and work on that within with in, internal to the team. The other reason that you don't want to just completely, completely outsource is that it's not unlikely for those relationships to sour. If the relationship sours, how do you maintain continuity as a business? Because now you have to like bring over you know, all the documents that they have and they'll basically just say, okay, you're fine. We're done. We're done. Here's everything we have as of today. You know, we owe this to you contractually. Here you go. Good luck. If you didn't have a resource that was working with them through it all, it's going to be really hard for you as a company to pick up what they've given you and give it to somebody else and like carry the ball from there. Mm-hmm. So from a business continuity perspective, I, I rarely recommend that you just outsource completely. It might mean that you need to have Let's use the engineering example again. You know, maybe you need to have, you know, one strong mechanical engineer, one strong electrical engineer, um, you know, in-house to help manage what your partner is doing, but then outsource the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a way for us to look at it. Um, one area I generally suggest people avoid outsourcing when it comes to building out your development team and figuring out who it is, is the software side of things. I'm a okay. strong proponent of building out your own internal software team. Okay. The reason for that is when you're in the bit, when you're starting to do integration and devices, you know, you're bringing them together and I'm presuming that there's some software involved. If it's like an implantable, then, you know, ignore everything we're talking about right now, but let's say it's not right. Let's say it's like a, you know, I come from the IVD space. So I'm used to having, you know, firmware and software driving machines and things like that. Yeah. Um, or 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 um, software to analyze the data that comes off of, of of systems. When you come to the business of integration, you uncover a lot of warts, and very often those can be addressed quickly through software. Right? Understanding, oh, we need to change the scripts that are driving things. Let's let's change how we're analyzing things. Let's change the order of operations for how the robot's moving or how pipettes are driving or speeds of pipettes, you know, how fast the pipetter is moving, things like that. That's much easier to do. And you could do overnight, right? When you have your engineering team say, okay, crunch time, we got to fix this problem. Let's just all get together and do it. When you outsource, it's a little bit harder because you then have to, you know, get them on the phone, describe the problem that you're experiencing now. Like, well, you know, everyone gets off at four. Um, That's just what we normally do. It's like, okay, but that's your business practice. We're a scrappy little startup. We need, you know, we need help right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you could move so much faster and you can solve a lot of issues through software 
or even at least band-aid things through software until you can fix it with fix the underlying hardware problem. So for that reason, I generally recommend people build out your own software teams if software is involved in your, in your project. Okay. It makes sense. I, I appreciate that insight. I, I don't have much, I've only talked to a handful of software folks uh, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and I think mm-hmm. I've covered uh, firmware, right? Which is what, and then embedded software, that might be the same thing. I'm, I'm not an expert mm-hmm. at this. Um, but uh, yeah, I appreciate that insight. That's, I think that's yeah. really good advice. Um, okay. Uh, anything else on that front? <clears throat> if not, I, I wanted to add one, one comment. Um, add away. <laughs> you, you had mentioned about outsourcing everything and, and theoretically there are, and I know of a few companies who have had one person and they've outsourced everything. They've been successful with that model. However, I think it's very important and I, I really appreciate the fact that you did lay out the risks of that because even if there, there has been multiple cases, right? Where, and I know, I know a few cases that, that I was working through, you know, this year already where things fell through with a large outsourced part of the company and there was no internal champion and it causes major delays. And if those delays Mm -hmm. happen when you're getting ready for submission or commercialization or anywhere past maybe this initial first step, it it can be a major hit to the company. Um, And and you're talking about, you know, burning of capital, um, uh, taking, you know, finding a new resource to to help take care of that gap that you just had. Um, Mm -hmm. it could be months before that, that team or person or whoever is up and running again. And now you're talking, especially if you're in a seed or series a round where a lot of this times this happens. Now you're talking about raising more money to cover the money you lost there. You've lost more equity now. I mean, it's a snowball (laughs) of negative things that can happen. So, um, I, I like that take on it. Um, and I, and I like the, the color there, the, the picture you, you, you painted there, um, of, of the, the fine line between both. So I appreciate that. Um, uh, let's also cultural red flags, right? So, so we're talking about this team. We talk about culture. I've had people on to talk specifically about leadership culture networking, communication, you know, things like this, but I'd, I'd love mm-hmm. to hear your take specific. They were not, they weren't specific to the med tech industry. They were specific to communication in general, right? How a mm-hmm. leader should communicate. How do you build that, that kind of culture, that kind of, that kind of environment that, that so many startups like earn for to keep people here. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I want to hear it specific to med tech, right? Cultural red flags. Yeah. So Let's 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 frame that so we don't get ourselves into trouble. Um, you know what what we're talking about with culture. You know, I work and, and my practice works you know exclusively with you know really early stage startups, mm-hmm. and there are there's a few commonalities that I've had the unique privilege in, in my position to be able to observe, to say, ah, you know, 
you know, this is a situation that very often needs, um, you know, care for us to navigate through. Um, and, and, and in, in relationship to building a team, you know, how do you, you know, we, you got your VOC ready, you know, how do you now, you know, uh, you know, um, execute on that. There's, there's a couple here that I wanted to touch on. The first one is, now, if I if I come into a, to an organization and predominantly everyone involved that I'm talking to, they are, you know, mostly from an academic and or research environment, right? So if 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 the leadership team, if that core group, everyone there is from that academic and research environment, which happens all the time because a lot of times the stuff that I work on, you know, like we said earlier, it's someone's PhD thesis, you know, it's coming out of someone's lab at MIT or at Harvard or at JHU or wherever, you know, it's coming out of that lab. So it's just natural for everyone there to be kind of from that academic and research, um, let's say foundation. Sure. The, the challenge is you really don't need an, you you don't want an academic and research mindset when it comes to the business of product development for medical devices that you're going to commercialize. It's it's a different way to look at things than the academic and research world looks at things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's it's a lot less. There's just a lot of differences, right? We we prioritize and we value different things. So sometimes I'll come in and I'm like, okay, well we need to balance out this team a little bit because we have a very heavy academic influence, but that's not, you know, what you do to try to drive toward publications is not really what you need to do to drive a robust, you know, therapy or device or, um, you know, that you're going to commercialize and and be really successful with. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one of the red flags that I say, like, wait a second, let's take a good look at our team here and figure out how do we balance this because we don't want to be overly academic and research driven. Sure. In the same vein, I will sometimes get involved with groups and they've got a, you know, a nice small team and they tell me, oh yeah, well, here's Dwayne. Dwayne was part of this startup and this startup and this startup. And here's Devin. Devin did this startup, this startup, this startup. Michelle was involved in this one, this one, this one. You know, everyone's got great startup experience, but you dig a little deeper and you realize, okay, well, they left all of those companies, you know, during after the fun part of being in a startup ends right right? and now now i think the company is maturing and now like now we're bringing in quality systems and we have to document things and i you know i just want to like create so if you have like a whole team of career startup people part of the risk you have there is you're kind of setting yourself up for failure because you don't have the same same thing with all academic and research minded. You don't have the team there that understands what does it take to develop medical devices. Um, and it, it kind of harkens back to our, 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 our earlier comment about humility, right? Um, like you said, it all, it's all going to come back to it. A lot of times the teams start in those roles, but to be able to say, wait a second, step back and look at yourselves and say, wait a second, you know, none of us really, truly, authentically know how to get through this next phase because none of us have really actually done it, right? How many of those career startup people stayed with their startup, you know, through launch, 
and through the highly troubled waters of post-commercialization, where you learn so much more about your device in those first six to nine months than you did during all of development, because now it's in the wild and it's in the hands of real users. And, you know, it gets real. Yeah. Like it's, th- things get real at that point. <laughs> um, and that's where you really learn a lot. Yeah. And to be able to bring that back into the next startup that you build out and the next product that you build out. Um, so I also kind of watch out for those, for, you know, the teams that are comprised of, you know, exclusively career startup, or at least the, the leadership team is all career startup folks mm-hmm. to say, okay, okay, we need to balance some experience in here. Okay. And that brings us to the last red flag. Um, and then I want to get your take on, on these three, on these three flags. The last red flag is where you have kind of only, well, let's, let's say the, the, that core group, that first couple of people that are founding the team, you know, the first handful of, of employees, if you've got some really experienced people in there and they've gone, you know, they bounced around, but they've been, you know, maybe they were, um, you know, director of, let's pick on quality for a second the director of quality at, you know, a J and J site. And then they move from there and they become senior director of quality at, at BioMirror. And then they move on their director. I mean, they're like, um, you know, VP or senior VP of quality for like four or five more years now at Abbott or at, at Roche or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm using big companies. Sure. Part of the challenge with the pedigree, when, when you're bringing on, folks to help drive what you're doing as a startup, um, bringing in those, those high um, value kind of pedigreed resources. There's a tendency to put in place the infrastructure and to approach the needs and the problems that are, uh, that are there for the startup. And I'm not faulting them. It, it, you know, they're, they're working from a foundation that that's just what they know. They know the big environment. And of course, we're trying to pick on this, this quality leader. Um, you know, they know very well all the intricacies and they've been through lots of audits with the FDA for these really big giant devices. And they say, oh yeah, well, we have to have, you know, for a change order, we need to have this department sign off, this department sign off, this department sign off, this department sign off because of these problems that we've seen in the past. Plus we need this one and this one and this one and this one. So now you have like 17 people needing to sign off on something. That might make sense for a really big, product that's already on market, right? And, and, and there's billions of them out there. That does not make sense for a startup who doesn't even have a product on market yet. But I see this all the time, particularly in the, in the world of quality, where I see overly complex quality systems put in place by folks that come from homes of overly complex quality systems because those places need it. Um, and, and that's appropriate there, but it's not appropriate for a two-person startup. Um, or for a five-person startup. So academic research, career startup folks, or you know, too high of a pedigree, pedigree for, with folks that don't really, they can't translate that big world and, and big pharma, big med tech mindset into a small startup mindset and, and try to simplify it in that situation. Those are some of the flags that I see when I'm looking at the team to say, all right, we need to balance this a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to shut up and I want to hear what your thoughts are, Dwayne. No, I, I I wrote down one word uh, three separate times. You mentioned it three separate times. 
And, and we said humility. I think the other word it comes back to is balance and, and maybe they're, 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 they're related. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's a hundred percent balance. It's understanding your weakness as a leader. Um, and, mm-hmm. and when you're building this team around you, um, you know, I think it's important. And, and I always say this is you don't want yes men or yes women around you who are just going to agree with you to agree with you. I mean, you want people who might push back a little bit. Um, and, and I think that it, it does, it, it all comes back to balance and, and you have to have that to be successful. Um, I mean, it's, it is everything with my pot. It's, and it's just a podcast, right? This is just a podcast, but I have two right. team. I have two team members and those two team members I brought on were a hundred percent filling my weaknesses. I mean, that's exactly yeah. what it was. It was, it, it wasn't, I went out and tried to find someone who I was like, Oh, great. You know, he's going to, Aaron's going to agree with me on everything I do. That is not the case. And it's the best decision I made was bringing Aaron on as, as the first person to expand the project med tech team. Mm-hmm. He's an mm-hmm. operational, uh, uh, expert. He understands how to take a product from, and the podcast is a product. He understands how to sure. take a product from, from the beginning phase all the way through commercialization and, and keep it on the market. Right. And, but he knows how to operationalize it. I don't, I don't know how to do that, right? My my skill set falls in a different area. So I think right. um, if if people take this to their startup company and and their launch of their product, it is it is really best served for them to do that and and check your ego at the door. Um, yeah, and that is that's that's humility for sure, right there. And uh, that is something that like confidence has never been an issue for me, um, and. But the, the minute <laughs> I took a step back and just realized, okay, shut up and listen to people. Mm-hmm. That was the best decision I ever made in life. <laughs> I mean, without a yeah. doubt. And, and you just learn so much from people and a different perspective. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you are hundred percent right. When you highlighted humility, it, it really got me thinking. I'm sure you could be successful without it. Like I'm, there's always an exception to every rule. I get it. But in general, like if you if you have good humility, I I, I bet you're gonna be. I, I hope you're gonna be successful. I think you're gonna be successful, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, I, I I like it. I agree. Um, man, I think it, I think it's come full circle on this one. Um, <laughs> again, I think it it. I think our last conversation ended like this too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Anything else to add? I mean, I think this is for me. I think this is this is tying it all together. I'm looking forward to part three. Yeah, I think I think we're at a nice landing point. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, listen, Devin, hang on for a minute. Uh, I really appreciate this. Uh, this is by far the most we've dove into um, 
building your team. I mean, I've talked about this in other episodes at a high level, some of these different points, but we really haven't gotten into the nitty gritty like this. And and even even then, I'm sure there's like hours worth, <laughs> hours worth of conversations for the regulatory, the quality, the engineering, the leadership, um, all those different pieces you named. So uh, I really appreciate this. And um, again, we'll have all the links in the um, show notes for, for how to get in touch with with Devin and product and um I appreciate your time today. Yeah, happy to be part of it. Thanks. Yep. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info@projectmedtech.com. At Thanks for listening and have a great day.